0: This episode is brought to you by Shapeshift.io, the easiest, fastest, and most secure way to swap your digital assets. Don't run the risk of leaving your funds on a centralized exchange. Visit Shapeshift.io to get started today. Hello, everyone. Today's interview is with Brayton Williams from Boost VC, which is a blockchain-specific accelerator. And we talk about three things that I find interesting. The first is... We go deep on some of these new things that uh, change kind of the blockchain space from an investing perspective. Um, both the blockchain-enabled kind of financial incentives that diminish the defensibility of network effects. Um, we talk about VC 3.0, which is where you can kind of leverage crowd, to leverage the crowd, and put like these new funds on top of these protocols right when they're beginning, not later in the. Um, platform life cycle and then finally we talk about how hedge funds um you know interact in the space and then how all those three things kind of um work with boost vc so we talk about that and the other key thing here is when we talk about those things brayton just really emphasizes trust um and, and he's emphasizing trust both from like a blockchain company perspective where it's like hey you gotta build a great brand you gotta build trust that's how you monetize and he talks about it from a boost vc perspective where he says hey what value do we provide to people we have a you know a lot of network in the space we have a lot of um we've been in here for a long time so we like know and kind of have that more perspective there and so in both ways it's kind of that's what's still being monetized here is trust and i think that. I talk about trust in probably a third of my podcasts, but I think of it similar to power, where it's like you should talk about trust as much as you can, and you should talk about power as much as you can, because those are the two key words that um, define our society. <laughs> so, and then the third thing that we talk about is this concept of what I like to call like the liquid person. You could also call like the freelancer or the teal person. And that is, um, you know, Brayton and I talked about it from perspective of these new blockchain founders who are kind of jumping around between projects and um, this is not necessarily a good or bad thing it's just different um, but someone like Vinny Langham from Civic um, who's now a GP at uh, Multicoin Capital or Joey Krug from Augur um, who's now a, um, a partner at uh, Pantera and so those kinds of things didn't really exist in the past where people were actively at the beginning of the company life cycles then also being both at the company level and the fund level but i think it's really just part of this new kind of teal mindset um and what i mean by that is where, where you as a person you don't, you're you not centralized you don't work at ibm for 40 years or whatever and you might not even work at um this company for five and the next company for five and the next company for five these days, instead, you might just divide your time kind of like in a Google way 80% towards this, 20% towards that, or maybe 33, 33, 33. So we're starting to see more of this kind of like liquid person um, come up. And just as a note for everybody that does that, make sure that you're clear with your commitments if you're a liquid person, because that's what the people need to know. Um, so, yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode with Brayton. And as a note, if you're interested in joining the next Boost VC tribe, the next Boost VC class, you can apply by December 30th. And finally, before I begin, here are two quick things that I'm um, leading that you might be interested in first is I'm leading, co-leading the ETH Denver Hackathon, which is the next in the series of ETH Global Hackathons. Uh, you know, we're really working with the ETH Waterloo team. We expect 500 hackers, awesome speakers um, like Joe Lubin, William O'Gayar, Linda Hia. Uh, We have these awesome workshops, both on the coding side, things like crypto-economic primitives, bonding and staking, etc. And then also some great non-coding workshops, which are emphasizing as well things like governance, complex system dynamics. Um, so, if you're interested, it's February 16th through 18th and you can go and learn more at ethdenver.com and then the second thing that i'm doing that you might be interested in is what's called the ethereum commons co-op and this is a new project that i'm starting that essentially allows for more cross-project co-evolution and kind of facilitates that and then also tells the story about um, this new future that we want to live in that internalizes externalities Uh, so if you want to learn more about that you can go to my twitter Hello listener friend, my name is Reese Mark and you're listening to another episode of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future. And in this podcast, we take a systems-thinking approach to doing good in the world, and we have a couple different series that focus on different system scopes. And today, we're focusing on Series A, Macro Systems. And this is looking at kind of humanity-level systems like venture capital and philosophical macro trends, where we ask the question, where are we as humanity headed? Um, And today, I'm very happy to introduce Brayton Williams to the show. Brayton is a founder and partner at Boost. VC, a leading accelerator in the blockchain space, and they've invested in companies like Coinbase, Polychain Capital, Etherscan, and MyEtherWallet. Brayden, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thank you for having me. So kind of just at a high level here, do you want to give us an intro to Boost VC um, and your unique focus areas?
1: Yeah, so as you said, VC is an accelerator, and what that means in layman's terms is we invest typically at pre-seed, um, and accelerator is kind of the way we do it. We do batches of investments, so we do about 20 investments twice a year. Um, we actually house all of our companies here in San Mateo. We have, uh, San Mateo being in California, we have 24 rooms, so it's a very much a uh, live and work non-stop environment. Uh, we've invested in to date um, 10 different accelerator batches, we call them tribes. We That composes about 200 companies, um, and we've brought companies from all over the world, so we've covered about 35 different countries, um, which gives us a, kind of a unique opportunity to see what's out there and kind of also expand our reach and finding deal flow because we have so many founders throughout the world. Uh, and then sectors we focus on, we are not fully on cryptocurrency and blockchain, although that is definitely one of our major pillars. Uh, if that was our first pillar, second pillar would be like VR, AR. Uh, and Maybe third category generally would be kind of what we mentioned, uh, sci-fi. So within that, we have space, robotics, exoskeletons, AI, uh, anything that seems really weird and hopefully very futuristic, <laughs> but not too far in the future.
0: <laughs> nice. Just the right amount of futuristic. I mean, there is this convergence feeling of sci-fi where it's like, oh, man, do, do you watch Black Mirror, by the way? Yes. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying and probably good for your job, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, Uh Someone made a – so Phil Libin, co-founder of uh, uh, Evernote, mm-hmm. said when he looks at investments in the sci-fi realm, he thinks there's two ways kind of we can go in the world. It's either Mad Max or Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just make sure it's always pointing towards Star Trek. Yep, yep. Nice. I like that.
0: Um, cool. So that's a good intro to Boost VC, And today we'll mostly be talking about the kind of blockchain cryptocurrency side. And the first question that Brayden and I want to talk about was – kind of part of the macro change within this landscape, or rather the kind of unique investing situation within blockchain around um, the blockchain mindset, which is, hey, you know, like, we don't necessarily want to create monopolies here. We're trying to create protocols. We're trying to, you know, create these utilities. Um, and and kind of the classic mindset within venture capital has been black swan, 100x returns, you know, create monopolies, you know, aggregation theory, things like that. Um, so, Brayden, how do you kind of think about uh, both from the company level and from, like, boost VC level and then also from, like, your LP level, how are you guys thinking about creating monopolies and getting these hundred x returns in the blockchain space?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the, in definitely in the Ethereum world, everyone is much more so um, cooperative and willing to help, and it's like definitely the traditional startup culture of you know the Black Swan event and the what they used to call the Thunder Lizard, which is Godzilla, and you want to invest in the Thunder Lizard, which kills everything else. Uh, the Ethereum space isn't necessarily like that. I would say Bitcoin is definitely a little different in the terms of it is very much trying to be the winner take all. Um, And I think within cryptocurrency, although it has this nice, um, everyone treating each other well and it's going to like democratize finance and everyone's going to be well off. I do very much like meeting the people in the space. It's still very much like uh, everyone's trying to win. Um, Of course you have, the people who are definitely in this for the right reasons, but the majority of people are trying to win. And within that, I think you can still make investment into certain cryptocurrencies that, uh, for like Bitcoin, for example, if it wins just being decentralized money, like that's a very big opportunity. I don't necessarily think there needs to be five different decentralized money chains. I think it could very much still be a winner take all. Um, And I don't know if you think there might be, like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, Well, yeah, I think that the,
0: I I mean, that is, I mean, and like Naval says, hey, Naval Ravikant says, hey, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest winners here from a power law perspective is going to be a trillion dollar protocol. Um, Mm -hmm. So that mindset of the winner take all definitely exists. Um, I feel like the, you know, one thing that might happen though is like, you know, traditionally, you'll have companies or maybe a good example of this is someone like yours who went through um, your guys's batch. Is that correct? Yeah, so we invested in them uh, about a year and a half ago. Cool. Yeah. And I had Ryan on the show um, a couple months ago. And we were talking about the concept of rent seeking and kind of taking money away from from people in the system and whatever. And he had kind of a perspective of, you know, trying to be as non rent seeking as possible. And I feel like that is kind of, counter you know intuitive or or like counter to the you know idea that the company should make as much money as possible so that's kind of the tension that i'm kind of pushing on here and seeing how you think about it um i don't know if it's
1: i think so i think people make that statement but like ryan i've known ryan ryan's still trying to win yeah and he's trying to beat everyone else so yeah he's trying not to leech and you know be a good human but he's still trying to win, and he still wants to be the billion dollar company um, so I think there's still very much plenty of opportunity for venture scale returns, whether it's the company like a yours building on top of the technology or the cryptocurrency itself um, both of them could still be monopolies in their own right yeah, I
0: think that that makes sense, and I think that there's a there's kind of a choose both scenario here where you can choose both to win and you cannot uh, you can choose to kind of by winning, and part of winning is actively um, trying to not be rent-seeking in various ways, or t- to try to be kind of part of this weird kind of cryptocurrency mindset. Um, I guess so. Kind of moving away from the the mindset side of things, and and kind of pushing into the actual like financial incentive structures and defensibility here. Um, so, like the within blockchain, uh, blockchain allows you with um, you know, new blockchain-based incentive structures and being able to give protocol or being able to give tokens to the holders at the beginning, you can essentially diminish network effects because before when you're like, hey, do you want to be the 10th user of Facebook? You didn't get any financial upside for being the 10th user of Facebook. But in these new kind of blockchain networks, when you can kind of give tokens to the early adopters, they can be financially incentivized to grow the network. And so you can kind of beat down some of the old network effects here um, with these new financial incentives. Is that like you know, and thinking about defensibility here and it's like
1: network effects, how do you think about defensibility in the blockchain space? Yeah, I think we've definitely never seen network effects like what the blockchain has implemented. You know, once there's value to every one of Twitter's users, for example, uh, everyone is incentivized to stay, obviously. Right now, if there's a better Twitter, you know, it's still very hard to leave because there's so many people using Twitter. But if I get paid, like value like that where I can actually pay my rent or buy food—that's a something we've never seen before. Um, well, I guess to some extent we've seen it in kind of startup equity. So you join a startup and you actually own a piece of something. Although there's problems with that being illiquid, and um, you know I can't pay my rent with my non-liquid Coinbase stock, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And it's also primarily for employees, not for early adopters. Correct. Um, that being said, I think they're is uh, another side of this that is problematic that users and people working on the protocol are incentivized in somewhat the same same way, but just different levels of ownership. Um, and I think you run into problems when if you have liquidity right from the beginning and you are supposed to be the one who's maintaining this network, you could sell off and jump to the next project. And I think we're seeing I mean, it's a kind of a off-topic from what you were mentioning, but I think one of the problems we see in the space is everyone's jumping from thing to thing, mm-hmm. trying to capitalize on tokens from each different project. Um, so right now there's just an abundance of tokens. So these users, like the incentivization for the user, we're not really seeing a user incentivized to use a product. We're seeing people just going out there with their basket, trying to collect as many tokens from each competing project out there.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think... It's uh because, like you say, because you can get at because if you're at the very beginning of a network, you can therefore get some financial upside from it. Then why not kind of hack the system and just join a bunch of different projects to do that? Um, and it kind of reminds me of what uh, Joe Ergo from District OX was saying. And, and District OX is a um a, pro- a company that went through um, Boost VC, and he was saying a key thing here is even as we think about the crowd and the kind of community here that you the, the key part of the core team is to provide that consistency and that's ability to say hey we're going to be here for four years whether no matter what happens kind of so i think that that's kind of a powerful thing
1: that blockchain uh, founders can do in this space so it is and i would say you have to take someone at basically their word right now and there's very little protections in place you know in startup investing when you invest there's typically a four-year investing schedule Right now, we're seeing very limited uh, investing schedules in these founders starting blockchain companies, and it's very easy for someone to raise a bunch of money, sell, and leave. Yeah. Um, so, you definitely have to be careful who you're investing in, and there is a lot of trust involved with making these investments. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, that makes sense. we kind of talked about that side of um, one of that those emergent properties of Given these new blockchain-based financial incentives, what can you do over there? I want to push back, though, and and go back to this defensibility piece here um, and to check to see how you guys are thinking about defensibility in the blockchain landscape given the diminished network effects. So, like, how do you think about defensibility? How should your companies be thinking about defensibility when um, it's harder to defend given that other projects in their space could financially incentivize other early adopters?
1: Yeah, this has been kind of a, obviously, again, there's the token piece, and then there's the equity investment piece that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, The equity investment piece building on top of these protocols or, you know, the Coinbase, for example, or exchanges in general, uh, there's no real loyalty to an exchange. Uh, Same with wallets. There's not a ton of loyalty. Mm. So you really have to build just the best product. And I think right now the defensibility for a lot of companies like that is just trust. And again, I've come back to trust a lot because I think it's one of the most important things in this space. You know, people use Ledger because they trust it. People use Coinbase because they trust it. Um, Etherscan because the data is correct and they trust it. And I think right now building, like, that's kind of the moat that I see is you continuously build that trust. Obviously, it's very easy to lose trust. But... The, every day that you continue to prove trust um, strengthens your moat.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that the and that gets into this piece by Alex Alex Danko from Social Capital around kind of this macro trend where trust itself is being abstracted um, and kind of becoming more abundant, but it's not there yet. So if you are a company that's a, that. The scarce resource, as you say, there is trust still these days. And because it's still scarce, then companies like Coinbase or Etherscan or whatever can essentially monetize that um, that trust barrier in order to, to get returns and what have you. So I think trust is a good thing to hit on every single time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, even I would say, you know, we're promised the future of something where we don't need to trust these protocols, but at the fundamental level right now, we still have to trust them. Like, there are things that can go wrong. There are people who could be bad actors and take down some of these systems. Uh, there is trust still. Yes. Although a lot of people don't, like, they, everyone's just saying, you know, you don't need to trust anyone. And it's all trustless. Like, it's not entirely true. Yep. Yep, I agree.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shapeshift.io, the world's leading trustless digital asset exchange. Quickly swap between dozens of cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ether, Dash, Bitcoin Cash, Augur, Golem, and many more. And this is not your typical crypto exchange. You don't need to create an account or share your personal information, and your funds are never stored on Shapeshift. This means that your hard-earned digital wealth is never up for grabs by hackers or other malicious actors. To get started, visit Shapeshift.io, choose the tokens you'd like to swap, input your receiving address, and send your funds. It's that easy. Um okay so kind of transitioning away from that kind of defensibility piece um and talking about the role of the venture capitalist within the blockchain space. I guess first could you give us kind of a overview of like where your mind is at with the with the space with in terms of tokens and equity and like what things you're kind of excited to invest in?
1: Yeah, we uh we have an interesting viewpoint because we've been investing in you know blockchain related companies since kind of early 2013, um, so my partner Adam Draper was the first angel investor in Coinbase. So from there, we kind of seen a lot. And back in 2013, there were maybe five Bitcoin companies. Um, cryptocurrency wasn't really a word. And so we started, really when we started VC, we wanted to focus on one technology and we actually chose Bitcoin as our first core technology to focus on. And that was because developers loved it and there were probably, again, five companies in the space And our first thought was, let's just double the amount of Bitcoin companies Mm because no one's funding them. And we think it's cool. Let's get more off the ground. So that's how it started. Um, And from then, you know, we saw the Bitcoin with the rise of 2013 and then the crash. And then Bitcoin as a currency was no longer talked about. The blockchain was exciting to people. That's when we kind of saw the private blockchains and whatnot. And we got involved with some blockchain general projects. Um, And then kind of afterwards, we saw Ethereum launch um so then we started seeing the multi-chain future and kind of right when that happened we started looking at companies not just bitcoin but ethereum as well and we were lucky to invest in someone like uh matt from etherscan and then we and then quickly kind of the icos but very early in that we actually met olaf who started Polychain capital Uh, we knew him because of his coinbase days and he pitched us on basically the multi-chain future and as, uh, kind of the fat protocol thing where the protocol level will capture all the value. Mm-hmm. Um, someone needed to build a fund specifically for that. He launched the fund. We were lucky to be one of, uh, his early checks and he's grown from like a, you know, $4 million fund to, a many, many hundred million dollar (laughs) fund. So it's been quite a wild adventure to see. Um, So then we started going, okay, let's look directly at ICO investing. We're one of the first funds to start doing that. But then, as we said that, it blew out of proportion. Like I've never seen so many ICOs, tokens. Everyone in the world has their own ICO now. And when everyone's doing something, it's probably not a good opportunity as an investment because, Mm -hmm. you know, as a fund, I'm competing against public money out there and there's an abundance of it. So getting good prices, you know. I'm sure most people familiar with startup world understand that you need a company with real traction, probably making money to be valued at, you know, ten million dollars or so. And ten million dollars is a ton of money. And in the blockchain space, that would be like a very tiny ICO. <laughs> so that's very scary. So we quickly, again, um, I still think there's bigger opportunities within the token space for some specific chains I can talk about. But right now we're focused a lot on the infrastructure. If I believe that there is, uh, if the multi-token future exists and people will using, be using this and trading, sending around, storing, uh, that infrastructure around it needs to exist. And right now it's not great. And no one else is looking to invest in these things right now, or very few people, because everyone's focused on the tokens. Yep. Uh, because every, everyone's looking for the Ether return. Everyone wants that 1,000x in two years, which, again, it, you probably won't hit that again. <laughs> everyone's looking for it. You're not going to hit it. So you know, some of the recent investments, you know, something like Coinbase, again, the EtherScan, um, the wallet. So I think there's a lot of great opportunities within the space. That are not tokens. I still think equity investments can be really good uh, venture returning investments. Yeah,
0: yeah, I like that. I think that there's a. Yeah, I like the, you could call it contrarian, you could just call it like, don't go where everybody else is going, which is like, yeah, these ICOs are crazy, you guys got into at them at the beginning, and you're like, oh my god, this is nuts, and then doubling back down, I'm kind of reminded of what Brian Armstrong from Coinbase said recently around, hey, we just need to double back on and double down on fundamentals here, uh, and infrastructure tech feels like that, we're just like, there's still so much infrastructure tech to build out, uh, and so it's, even though it's not necessarily as exciting as, you know, an awesome new token or whatever, it, it it's crucial to the space and is going to be used by the
1: various tokens that start to exist um, in the future. So totally, like, it's boring. It's all boring, <laughs> but you know the boring stuff works and it's needed. Everyone's looking for, uh, yeah. I'll just I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah.
0: You could go on a, a a tirade about boring things, but yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit. You know, going deeper in this blockchain space and and with that as a context. Tell me about how you're thinking. So so one of the emerging things in the blockchain space, especially with these larger ICOs and this kind of weird protocol stack where people are um, kind of, you know, for the people above them in the stack, they're essentially, um, they can essentially fund people to use their API and they want to create a great, you know, developer ecosystem around their protocol. This has meant that we've seen these VC funds get built on top of um, these protocols, whether it's like consensus and consensus Ventures launching a fifty million dollar fund, or like Tezos and their fifty million dollar fund, you know, Blockstack launched a twenty five million dollar fund. So how do you kind of think about those big funds and how like how are you different than them? And like is it just the case that companies themselves kind of inject themselves with capital post ICO now, or you know, where do you guys, um, where's your value in the space?
1: Yeah, it's been a fascinating thing to see. You have massive ICOs that basically turn into crazy big endowments with a little tiny uh, software project on the side. Yep. And we, you know, like I was saying earlier, the abundance of money out there, like we compete against that too, because again, they're trying to find the opportunities. Um, I think a fund that's focused on something like Ethereum makes sense, because I think the Ethereum platform is big enough to justify it. Mm. Um, I worry a little bit about something like a Tezos fund or a Blockstack fund or a fund that's extremely early, or a protocol that's very early, or the platform's still very early, uh, investing in opportunities on top of it, it seems like a much better opportunity just to invest in the Tezos or the Blockstack. We kind of saw this, you know, in traditional startups with Facebook. You know, Facebook had its own fund, Slack has its fund, but those funds didn't start until those Slack and Facebook were still were already very successful. Yep. And even the people who invested in the Slack fund and the Facebook fund were investors that were already in Facebook and Slack. Yep. Um it's their incentive for a lot of people to build on top of them because it builds that lower level network. I wouldn't start my own Tezos fund or Blockstack fund unless I was heavily invested already in those two platforms. Um so I think it's just different. Whereas I would start a uh, Ethereum fund because I think you can build on top of uh, Ethereum today because it is big enough. Got it.
0: That makes sense. And so, kind of going deeper on you know the value. I, I so let's kind of you know talk about. You know, actually, let's stay with the space generally right now and talk about the. You know, we talked about Consensus and their um, fifty million dollar fund with Consensus Ventures, and they have their this Consensus Hub and Spoke model, where they have the Consensus Hub, um, which has kind of equity in all of the spokes, which are these like little mini startups, um, and then all the spokes also have equity in the hub itself. And so it's kind of like a weirdish new kind of accelerator model. Um, how do you think about that compared to Boost VC in the
1: blockchain space? Yeah. So again, that's a a model that is taken from traditional where that's kind of what we consider like an incubator. You have kind of your home and you push out like the incubator itself pushes out ideas and puts little teams on them. Um, The problem I see with it is we always want the founders of a project to have autonomy and ownership. It's really hard when someone else owns 50% of your company and they're not working as hard as you are on it. Um, So if you have a bunch of little projects and a bunch of the kind of leads of those aren't, don't feel like they have autonomy and don't feel like they have true ownership over all of it, I feel like it's very hard to drive a project forward because it's no longer like your baby. Uh, And I feel like as a startup founder or a crypto project founder, it has to be your baby. And it is yours and you have to drive it forward. I think this is kind of what I was mentioning earlier as well, that when you feel like you have partial ownership over a project, you will bounce around a lot to a bunch of different projects. And I think consensus has been a great thing for the ecosystem, and it's pushing a lot of things forward. But I do wish they focused more attention on maybe a few core projects as opposed to with the hundreds of spokes they have where it doesn't feel like uh, each one gets enough time to really push it forward. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that there is a... It's, it's a very different system where it's like for someone in the Boost VC, you know, Tribe 10 or whatever, it's not like the, you know, Taylor from MyEtherWallet, she can't just go and work at like the VR startup, you know. And she's and she's all in also, and maybe she could go work at the VR startup, but she's all in on MyEtherWallet. And that's a different vibe than the consensus model, which is one in which you can do a little bit more. You know, you might be excited by your spoke, um, but you also can kind of bounce around a little bit more, do some more work on like the, you know, the protocols level or like not necessarily the protocol level but like other things within you know helping out Uport or things like that so I think yeah as you're saying they're two different very different models
1: and and startups again if we I know I keep bringing back startups but to make a startup successful you know it takes years of grinding before you see results Mm -hmm. and right now we have a very short timeline on cryptocurrencies you know tokens in general for the most part have been around for a year um you need to put in years before we start seeing the results of kind of what can happen. And without, again, the ownership over it and autonomy, I don't think someone will be incentivized enough to stay around for the years. And times are going to be tough. Like for startups, every startup has probably almost died at one point. I think we'll see the same thing with tokens, tokens, you know, everyone judges it based on price right now. And I think we will have a trough where some certain projects Will be very low price-wise, um, not meaning that the you know value of the project is gone, but you will have to continue to grind in that phase to bring it back. Yep, yep, yeah. It is a uh, it's a long and winding road. <laughs> I agree with that. So
0: I mean, so talking about one other part of this kind of crypto ecosystem uh, that exists around Boost VC is kind of the hedge fund here. And these are a bunch of, you know, new hedge funds that invest primarily in kind of the tokens themselves. And I think I heard maybe that there were 200 or something. And, and people always say, like, the herd is coming. Um, so how do kind of these hedge funds, what do you think about these hedge funds and how do they um, affect you at, at Boost VC?
1: Yeah, so I think there are... Really great people in the space running hedge funds, uh, crypto-specific hedge funds. You know, I'm a huge believer in Olaf and the Polychain team. Um, I haven't worked with, but I've heard great things about the Metastable team. Um, there's a lot of really good people there, but there are also, you know, if I see five ICO pitches a day, I probably see maybe one new hedge fund pitch a week. Mm. So like, there's an abundance, maybe even more than that. Um, And the pitches are all the same. Uh, Ryan Selkis, I don't know if you've talked to him, but he wrote a great piece on kind of the hedge funds, which kind of slapped slapped a few people in the face, but I, for the most part, totally agree with it. Uh, People are charging very high fees for not that much. Um, So I would be very skeptical investing in a lot of hedge funds. Um, And I would say crypto hedge funds is kind of all encompassing but there are many pieces inside of that you have the kind of more venture hedge fund which I would think of as the pre-ICOs or ICOs which more of what the polychain uh, model is you have kind of the what I would maybe consider like a growth fund um, and that would be more of the maybe the uh, larger market cap mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies as you're going through uh, and then you just have like basic index funds which just following the market and each one of those should dictate different fees you know you shouldn't be charged 2% management fee and 20% carry for a investment just holding bitcoin and ether Um, but people right now are willing to pay these fees because some of again the core infrastructure is not there like it's still very very scary to hold cryptocurrency Mm -hmm. and most people don't want to do it most people will pay a fee to do that just to make sure they have some type of exposure to it so i think it's a short term great opportunity for people starting hedge funds long term i will i'm very skeptical on how they survive at least on current fee structures alone
0: yeah yeah does that make sense and i think yeah. it's funny when you say you got a five to one ratio there or five icos per day one hedge fund per day Breakfast, lunch, dinner, sleep, <laughs> you know, like rinse and repeat. Um, so thinking about – we've kind of covered all the other parts of this space where you have the ICO – or sorry, you have the, the the venture capital funds that are being built on top of um, – protocols. And then you have the kind of explosion of ICOs and the, you know, ability for people to crowdfund in a new and different way. And then you also have the kind of, you know, the consensus kind of hub and spoke model here. And then you also have like the hedge funds um, and crypto funds in the space. And given all those things, how do you guys as Boost VC, um, how do you find your niche? What's your unique value proposition? What's your
1: positioning within the space? I would say, um, so that's a very good question. We're asked that all the time and every day more people are joining the blockchain space. You know, If there was a chart to kind of graph how many people have added blockchain onto their LinkedIn profiles, mm-hmm. it would probably be absurd. Mm-hmm. And everyone's trying to take a piece of this market um, and I would say we try to continuously be just rational investors and strong proponents for our founders that we work with. Um, again, we have the We have the kind of goodness that we've been in the space for four and a half, five years, and we built really good relationships with our founders. Um, The best deal flow we get is through our founders, so we kind of think of the Boost VC program and our investment uh, like a product. So we're serving a product to our founders, and you know most products have NPS cores, and. Uh, which would be a net promoter score. So, how likely are they to tell someone else and recommend us to their friend yep. or another person? Uh, so, we think about it a lot like that. Like, if we deliver a good product, people will continuously send us good deals. Um, and, you know, within that, obviously, we have to, like, the good product has to be something. And because we've been in the space, you have generally a good thought of, Kind of what has been happening, what works, what doesn't work. And even just the knowledge, like that knowledge, has been very valuable for our founders. Um, there was someone brought up something great to me the other day, which was the, a lot of the new people in the space, or maybe a year in the space, uh, when they look at the blockchain ecosystem and they see different projects, there's no depth perception. And being in the space, you have really good depth perception. So you can tell really quickly and prevent a lot of errors or prevent talking to the wrong people very quickly. Um, So that alone has been very helpful. Um, I think for the most part, like it doesn't sound that exciting, but just being in someone's corner and rooting for them and Mm -hmm. being there to help them, uh, you know, starting a company is extremely difficult and I know right now it seems like starting an ICO, there's nothing but greatness. Um, but, you know, before this year, there, there, people were in really tough spots. No one was investing in cryptocurrency. No one was investing in Bitcoin companies. Um, so just being there and, you know, we didn't waver. We stayed in the space and stood by people. And that alone, um, you know, again, it kind of comes back to the trust aspect. That is somewhat of our network effect. People trust us, and then other people trust us. They tell someone else, and they trust us, and it just continues to build on itself. So we've been very fortunate in that. We've invested in 75 kind of blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, either uh, tokens or companies. So now it kind of just builds on itself, and we try to make make everyone happy, joining the Boost family. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I think that the the two key parts are yeah, a
0: you guys just have the depth perception and experience within the space uh to say like hey um to both for for you guys to, you know, vet good projects coming in and also to as people and this is kind of the second piece is through kind of your mentorship and being in their corner thing to say yeah to to help them with, you know, the utility value of their token or kind of how to build out their infrastructure, go to market, whatever and, and all those things even if you're able to raise a bunch of money, you still need uh, the mentorship and the help
1: and all those things in order to uh, in order to succeed as a company in the long run. Yeah, everyone is focused on the sale right now in the token space. Um, you know, this can come down to how we vet companies or founders, but you know, there's a lot, lot longer story to go than the sale, and everyone right now is focused on dollars in the bank account or. You know, ether in the wallet, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> cool. Well, with that, um Brayton, thanks so
0: much for being on the show. And uh, if you are interested, you can go to Boost VC and join. Uh, I don't know when when our application's up for Tribe Eleven. Uh, they're they're up now, and they're due November twenty sixth. November twenty sixth. Um, especially if you're a company that's wor- working on infrastructure tech um, in the blockchain space, definitely check them out. Um, and yeah, Brayton, again, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Sweet. And by the way, if you would like to support me on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash That's slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. <laughs> Thanks so much, everybody, and goodbye.